A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Friday morning, the 8th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's begin today by talking about the kids. Let's talk about crime. Those getting involved in crime are getting younger and younger. And we all know the dangers that our young people are facing. Falling into criminality are well ensconced within, you know, at that stage there are many people who will have committed many serious crimes that are used by criminal gangs. Getting in trouble, becoming involved in crime is far too common. In my role not only as a politician but I'm also in my role as a GEA I have come into contact with many young people who unfortunately become involved with the wrong people and end up before the courts. If our kids are before the courts it is because we have failed them. We need to use those real early interventions. That's when we're talking about kids that are growing up in you know, obviously the areas that have huge levels of deprivation that suffer from criminal gangs. Rory O'Murku and Peter Fitzpatrick, TDs who've become almost accustomed to seeing children involved in crime in their hometown of Dundalk. Fergus O'Dowd is a TD based in Drogheda. In an area which has seen the most abuse, the most criminality, appalling, shocking uh, violence and indeed my town has suffered greatly as a result of that. Back to Dundalk. My consistency office is next door to the courthouse. And if you want to come down to my consistency office, if you choose to Wellington Tosha, and you see the amount of young people being handcuffed and taken into the courthouse. Our towns are being held to ransom. We're dealing with areas within all our constituencies, particularly urban settings like Dundalk, that are being run by fiefdoms and kids being used as capos. The solution to the scourge of drugs in the northeast of this country lies, they say, in the Giran report. The Giran report must be acted upon and must be funded. Progress is slow, however. I welcome the Giran report. I welcome the Drogheda implementation board that has been put in place. But I am very wary when I see situations like the Family Addiction Support Network in Dundalk that deals with Loudmead, Cavan and Monaghan offering real solutions that is used many times by Angarda Siakana but is having real difficulties in drawing down funding to stay alive. On Tuesday of next week the budget is to be announced for next year. Minister, you have a job to do in this budget. You have a department which is committed, thanks to Minister McEntee and Minister Humphreys, uh, to actually funding the Gearn report in Drogheda. And let's hope that is what happens. Fergus O'Dowd told the Dáil this week that local media will be watching to see if it is what happens. Indeed, Michael Reid on radio said to me, 
maybe watching the budget, and I hope my colleagues here have had experience of his uh, probing mind, uh, will be asking after this budget exactly what has been done for Drada, what has been done for disadvantaged areas, and what progress has been made on the Kieran report. Fergus O'Dowd uh, finishing uh, that package. We also heard uh, from Rory Murku of Sinn Féin and Independent Peter Fitzpatrick, who are both on the line. And good morning to both of you, and thanks uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Rory Murku, do you think uh, that from next week onwards we're going to see uh, a funding model for implementing the Guerin report, uh, and indeed uh, that we'll see some real action, that uh, people will start putting their money where their mouth is, in other words? Well, Michael, it's as simple as that. That's what we need to see. The, the fact is we've had a failure to see any of this to date. Like we all know the difficulties there have been with the likes of the Red Door and accessing funding that's promised. We've seen the issue in relation to the Family Addiction Support Network. Now we think some of those monies are are now coming in train and at least that there will be applications can be made. But it's all very slow. It's very slow to come down from government. It's very slow to even come down to the HSE and then be separated out to the right CHO uh, area. So, look, this is a case of seeing is believing. But, look, during the week, we also had the issue of the National Child Care Scheme. You're talking about early interventions. You're talking about the fact um, of services such as, let's say, the House and Coxes or uh, Money More or project in in Rahabnamore and the difficulty that they have in getting kids into service that they previously would have been able to get dealt with. But we have issues with with that particular scheme. We are working with uh, the minister in relation trying to rectify in a short term basis and we're hoping for the outworkings of a review to deal with this. But like like I said, one of those areas is money more in Drogheda that's facing closure on the basis of not being able to access funding for early interventions at the point in time when we're talking about going in and sorting the entire process as regards interventions, youth diversion and all the rest of it. You Mm. can have the best plan in the world. You need money. And we will see next week what the story is. Do you agree, Peter Fitzpatrick? Oh, I agree, Michael. I agree. Funny, Michael. uh, 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 I I, I thought uh, on on Wednesday and the dawn, I thought it was a very good day for the youth of this country. I, I think all of a sudden now we have an opportunity of putting things right. Like uh, as I said, like uh, like uh, I think basically all we all we have now at the moment going forward is a development framework. But uh, we we do need solutions. And I said I remember talking to the two ministers. We have to give our youth opportunities. We have to give them options. We have to give uh, uh, provide resources. And in fairness, like, we we could talk all day. Mm. But the, the bottom line is they're looking for solutions. And the two the two things I concentrate mainly on, Michael, is is is, uh, is, is education and sport. Mm. Michael, not 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 all our youth are bad. We've got a lot of good things, a lot of positive things at the moment. Mm. But we do have to put it. Like, the, the only words I was listening today are last Wednesday the doll, and really, really, really deny me. The word kept coming up: intervention, prevention, diversion, detentions, and everything else at the moment. Is we have an opportunity now next Tuesday for the government to invest money in, 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 in budgets, in the resources. And I will be honest, Michael, and I keep saying it, I have family members coming to my constituency office looking for help. And if we can train the parents, and in fairness, I thought David Stone, the former uh, chairman of the Justice Committee and also uh, a former minister, I thought of all the people that spoke on Wednesday, I thought he was the one that had the experience. And he, he was trying to say, like, there was reports done, and from an early age in primary school, let's get teachers involved and crashes and everything else. Like if we can identify the problem at an early stage, invest 
and that's the way it's been Years ago, Michael, like, I, I, I'm known as a sports person. Mm-hmm. Years ago, like, like the likes of tennis and golf and everything else, we couldn't, we couldn't get involved in that there. And you know, most people got involved in football or boxing or swimming around at the moment. Like, the, the government's going to have to invest in sports to make sports available for absolutely everybody. Mm. To, me, to, to, to me, that's a great start in life. And yeah. not, not everybody wants to get involved in sports. And that's... that's that, talk to me about those people uh, because you preempted my question. I, I was going to ask you uh, what options are there because uh, obviously people are taking other options at the moment uh, and they're the kids that you were talking about uh, going into the courts in handcuffs that you see uh, a number of times every single week. Uh, but they do have options but they're not taking the options that exist and education and sport are fine up to a point uh, but for those who are lost to education who have no interest in sport what options should be looked at? Michael, first of all Michael as I said to you Michael I'm lucky enough I was involved in sport I will be honest I'll put my hands up I, I, wouldn't be, I, I didn't like doing my, my homework and my schoolwork and I, I couldn't wait for school to be over to go out in the street to play a bit of football or do a bit of running but there's a lot of, people, there's a lot of things involved there. there's a lot of youth projects there at the moment is you can go to the girl guides, you can go to the boys guides. There's a lot of youth, youth clubs at the moment, which is fantastic at the moment. And there's a lot of good work being done. So I think it's, it's very important to invest in these. Michael, I will be honest here, and uh, like, in my consistency office, well, as you know, we're, we're very close to the, to the courthouse. And I'm telling you, I see them choose the Wednesdays and Thursdays. Uh, we call them the Black Mariahs, the guards come up in their vans. Mm, and mm. these kids, 14, 15, and 16, mm. 17. Did you ever talk to them? Did you ever say to them, why didn't you go to the girl guides or the Boy Scouts? Uh, I mean, I, I can kind of guess the answer that you'd get. Well, Michael, no, I'm not trying to be smart, Michael. Like, I know, and I'm not trying to be smart either, quite the opposite. Well, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't, I wasn't ready to slip a spin in me, Michael. I, I know what it's like, Michael. Like, I, I come from a rough enough area there as well. Yeah, and, I know. And, 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 and I had options as well. Mm. And the options, and what I'm trying to say to you is, like, these, these youth clubs and these public clubs, is, that, that's, that's an opportunity to maybe yeah, go in a different you, direction. Yeah. Now, now, listen, Michael, and I said it, You're uh, banging an old drum uh, there, though, Peter. I, I mean, that's, that, 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 that exists, and we have these problems. So there's, so, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with what you're saying. It is exactly what is needed for those who are interested, who want to get involved in sport uh, and to improve all of that, great. Uh, but we're talking about the kids who don't, who fall uh, through the gaps, uh, the kids who leave school early, uh, and that is a, a big problem, and there's no doubt about that. So how do you stop that? Uh, and how do you get them to take other options if they're not interested in the ones that you're putting forward, whether that's the GAA or boxing or the girl guides or whatever it is? Well, I think, Michael, the, the parents have to take take responsibility here as well. I mean, like, uh, and, 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 it's, yeah. and, and the parents, like, like we, we can all use... No, we're going nowhere with that, Peter. I'm sorry. Well, well, Michael, I'm not trying to be smart, Michael. No, and I'm not trying to be smart either, Peter, well, the, you know. Well, if, if you please let me finish, Michael, mm. let's, let's, let's take, for example, the people who have been looked after. Like, mm. Instead of being negative, looking at, looking at the negative side, let's look at the positive side. Like, like, like the, the, the primary school, sports and everything else, mm. they've done a lot of good work over the last yeah. number of years. And then, and, and like, People do want to be had. Yeah. So it, it, well, getting resources. Whenever we have these conversations, you see, I'm thinking of the kids in the graveyards, the kids who are the kids who are six feet under, or the kids who are in Mount Joy, or the kids who are breaking into someone's house tonight, or the kids who are selling their bodies tonight. Uh, the kids I who are. Michael, I, I don't think Michael, there's any there's anybody uh, listening to your radio program this morning that hasn't got some member or family has committed suicide, Michael. There is a lot of pressure right there at the moment, Michael. But I said to you, Michael is. 
the mothers, the fathers, the granny, the yeah. grandmas. We all have to take responsibility. No, I'm, when, when I talk about the kids in the graves, I'm talking about the overdoses, Peter. You know, the the, the people uh, whose lives are lost to drugs, the people who uh, the, the the kids who are going around to people in our communities and putting guns down their throats, demanding money, who are threatening to burn their house or rape their other children. I mean, that's that's the stuff that I'm talking about. These are kids uh, who maybe you would get them interested in GAA, and I'm not saying that that's not the case, uh, you know, when they're five or, or six. Uh, but at this stage in the day, they're lost uh, and maybe lost forever. Uh, and the, quench, the question, I, I think, is uh, uh, the question that the Gearing Report, I firmly believe, should be asking is what can you do to prevent them from taking those options that they end up outside your constituency office, going into the courthouse, from the Black Mariahs in handcuffs a few times a week. See, the, the problem is, Michael, the, these young people that we know down by, by, by these drug dealers who's often in designer clothes, there's often the shoes and everything else. And I think I think the Garda, the Garda has to play a big role in this area at the moment. Is like I don't think that it, no matter what part, whether you're from Dundalk or from Jordan or from any other part of the country, is I think we all see these drug dealers uh, in operation. And I think what we mentioned is all there, all the driving men and the big fancy cars. We all seem to know who they are. I think once and for all, I think we're going to have to Start, you know, yeah, and, and, and to some degree, that's that's working well. I mean, I think uh, the work of uh, the local guards uh, was praised uh, across the board in uh, the Dáil last week. Uh, but let me go back to Rory O'Murakoo because, in some ways, uh, the question is the same: whether you're talking about the the kids uh, who the drug gangs are using, or the drug dealers themselves, because they weren't born bad kids. Uh, they took the wrong options, or bad options, or dangerous options, or whatever you want to put it on it. Certainly, options that don't suit the rest of us. Because because we know the consequences. And let's not forget that this Gearing report was put in place following the brutal murder of Keem Mulready-Woods. Uh, it, 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 it was a step too far after the rest of us had been saying for so long we've had more than enough. But that was 22 months ago. Yeah, and unfortunately, Michael, we deal with the acute end. My constituency office is directly across the road uh, the courthouse is between myself and Peter in, in relation to that. So, so we, we all see what we're talking about. And sometimes here it's 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 not a particularly here great sight. And, and you see people with difficulties and with all the rest of it. And see, at that stage, it's already too late. Look, when we're talking about early interventions, like some of these, we have... We've, another term that was said along with diversion and early intervention was pilot. The problem is we had multiple pilot projects in this state that are never rolled out, that run out of funding. Like within this town, I'm aware of times where we had um, proper family early intervention support services that worked with families for years and had an impact. But then what would happen is the area of uh, the, the area they would be responsible would come it uh, would become a greater area. They'd be dealing with more people. They would end up with less resources and they couldn't actually make a difference. Look, we know that there are families that need extra supports. We know that there are communities where they're already suffering from this element of criminality. There's more likelihood that somebody's going to, mm. you know, fall into difficulties and all the rest of it. But I said it also, we're talking about criminals that have been operating for years and have up run these places like fiefdoms and, and they changed their MO on the basis that they knew certain things that kids could get away from, could get away with. Mm. So therefore, that's why you, and here, see if you don't have a huge amount of chances as a kid, it's not that amazing that you wouldn't consider, oh, well, I can take a score or I can take 20 mm. quid or 50 quid to do a run for somebody, yeah. somebody else who's on their pressure, yeah. store stuff. 
And yeah, we do need greater level of resources. Look, we've seen the difference that it. So what do we do? Do we, do we give kids fifty quid? You know, so that they don't take 50 quid off the drug dealers uh, who get them to do a run because if they're caught, uh, they won't do time. I, I mean, I know it's a stupid question, but what, what, what's an appropriate question if that's a stupid question? No, no, look, I, I, I think all questions are fair. I, I think what we're doing at the minute isn't working, so we have to completely turn it on, on its head. Mm. I, I think when we're talking about family support... But how can you beat that about, off no, for no, 50 no, quid? No, I'm going to... Yeah, no, and I'm going yeah, to... Yeah. Because at that stage that we try and basically divert someone before they even consider getting to this page, this stage... Over this year in, in, in this town, we, we've had JLOs and we've had diversionary programs that basically had to link in to the NGO sector. What's, that, what's a JLO? Uh, the, the Juvenile Liaison Officer. Okay, right? and an NGO is a non-government uh, organisation. Basically, right? yeah. they've, had to, they've, they've had to link in with, let's say, community organisations and those that may have funding for possibly different things so they could avail of that basically to fill in the gaps that exist in their own service. Look, we've, we've dealt with the fact that the guards say we keep arresting people with addictions. We have nothing to do with them other than process them through the criminal justice mm. system. Look, they, I, well, I said they, it many times. Do they times. even do that? I, I mean, if you arrest a 15-year-old uh, who's stoned, there's nothing you can do. Uh, if, no. you, if, you, if you arrest a 15-year-old in possession, is there any point in doing anything? No, and the other thing we need to do is we, we also need an about face in relation to the fact that there are some young people that are engaged in, in incredibly dangerous criminal actions that they're that there do need to be consequences for. But the fact is, when we're dealing with that case, we've already lost. It's already too late. But mm. we're talking about the whole drugs pandemic and Programme for Government has it about a citizens' assembly to look at the whole thing so we can have an element of no, irregular people mm. dealing with experts, which has been a hell of a lot better than politics has in relation to coming up with solutions for very difficult situations. Mm. We need this to happen as soon as possible. Peter but Fitzpatrick, look, ah, can I just go back to Peter Fitzpatrick? Because I, I think you're sort of intimating there that uh, maybe we'd be well advised to look at legislating in terms of drugs that people are choosing to take. And no matter what we do, they'll continue to take them. Would you agree, Peter Fitzpatrick, should we legalise the weed or legalise other drugs and have safe places for people to take drugs? Michael, uh, Michael, Michael, I'm on here, Michael, talking about youth. I'm not on here talking about making uh, drugs legal and illegal. I'm on here making a new program talking about high prevention. Do you and think there's a difference? Uh, Seriously, Peter. If you let me finish, Michael. Oh, no, I, uh, no, I, no, I, no, I, no, I asked you a question. You asked me a question. No, no, I just, I, I just want to... Sorry, I, I'm going to answer the question. Do you, not, do you, do you think there's a difference between the two? Michael, 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 first of all, Michael, I don't believe in legalising drugs. No matter what kind of drugs they are, I don't believe in legalising drugs. Because to me, is that starts them off in the wrong foundation. Like, like I said from day one, is I, I spoke on the, on the door there on Wednesday, and I talked about education. And there, there was a programme done a while ago there that teachers are the best, are the, are, are, to me, are the, are, are the first step in the right direction for children to be educated about crime. And like, I remember years ago there, Michael, when I was at school, was, Every week of every month, the guards would call around and they'd, they'd be sitting in the classes and right. they'd be saying to kids, Michael, first of all, I'm not, there's no way I am going to, uh, on your programme right. and talk about legalising. Okay, well, I'm going to take issue in with you in the sense that yeah. I have to make the point 
that it is the same conversation. Uh, and of course, you're entitled to say, no, don't legalise them or do legalise them. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I've heard you say you don't want to legalise them. OK, so let's just uh, let me ask you a, a question on, on foot of that. So what is your suggestion for anyone uh, who takes drugs or who is caught taking drugs or is caught in possession of drugs regardless of their age uh, should, should, should there be a punishment for all of those because you're talking about an awful lot of people by the way well, well I think Michael the, the young people are, 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 are being guided in the wrong direction now like, yeah. you know, if, if, a young, if a young child at 12 yeah. years of age is caught taking drugs yeah. naturally Michael you can't send him to jail and you can't send him so to what, what, what would you do with them well, Michael, first of all, Michael, I, I, first of all, I, I, I get, I get them educated. I, I get them, I get them in, in, into some, into some youth centre, or some, some health centre. And what if that doesn't stop them? Because I don't think it will. And I, and I'm being genuine with you. No, I know, I know, Michael. Listen, I seen young fellas taking drugs, Michael, and I, I seen, I seen what happens after taking drugs, and, and as always said, it, it, it's going in the wrong direction, Michael. Is yeah. Michael, I'm so, so, Michael, so, we just, we just need to get some way of preventing these young people. I just need to educate them. But if you can't prevent them. That, that's the point. What if you can't prevent them? And, and, and I honestly believe. No, Michael, I know what you're saying, Michael. But, Michael, as I said in your program earlier on, not all, not, not, not all young, young people do get in trouble, but no, the people not. do get in trouble do need help. And Michael, what, what, what does that Michael, mean? Does that mean that you get them off the drugs or, or do, you, do, you, do, you, do you wait for them to um, rob somebody's house or to put a gun to somebody's head or to sell their bodies or. No, Michael. Michael, it's a separate thing, Michael. To we sell drugs? To Michael, no, Michael, we have to get them off the drugs. But what if you can't? There's lots of people. There's lots of people who are choosing to take drugs every day, all of their lives, or maybe once a week, or once a month, or once a year. And there's lots of people who are choosing to do that. But Michael, we have to let them know that it's wrong. It's not. It's not. They heard it all before. I, Michael, I know what we had it all before, Michael, but if everybody was as negative as you, Michael, we, 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 we'd be no fun around, Michael. No, no, no. I think, I, 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 excuse me. Excuse me. I think you're being very negative, <laughs> to be honest no, with you. Michael, Mike, I'm, Mike, I'm trying to say, Michael, let's, let's get prevention. Let, let's try to get a system in place. That the, but the sure, that's, it's just like, nonsense, Peter. I, are you saying the lost causes, Michael, are you? What? Are you saying the lost causes? Quite the opposite. I'm asking you a question, Michael. Are you I say, I, that's what I'm saying to you. Quite the opposite. I'm saying, what I'm saying I'm saying to you is that you need to intervene uh, at, at a very here, young age. To uh, you, you need to have plausible options for those young people to take. Uh, and the GAA or boxing or the girl guides are not plausible actions. That is what I'm saying to you. The other thing that I, I'm saying to you is that no matter what you do, people are going to take drugs. They enjoy taking drugs. A lot of them do it safely. Uh, and they enjoy it. It's part of, of their recreation. Uh, a lot of people will tell you it's safer than taking a drink. So you're not going to win that argument. So what do you do if you don't win that argument? You look to find a solution so that they don't end up selling drugs or killing people or selling their bodies or whatever else it is that they do. That's They're the points that I'm putting to you and that's the conversation that I'm trying to have. Well, listen, I'll have that conversation, Michael. But let, let's, put it, let's, let's put it in two halves. Half them are being, are being looked after, say, the likes of sports and education, yeah. and the other half is not being looked after. And I wish they'd all go into yeah. sport and education, no, yes. So, Michael, so we are, Michael. But, yeah. uh, but I'm saying this, we need to, to put resources together. We, 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 we need to get the GABA, the HSE, we need to get these projects all working together as one unit, Michael. Is. Michael I know, for example, for, for, I people come to my constituency job, young people come to my constituency job, mm. and you ring up looking for help, and you could spend maybe 10, 20, 20, 
Maybe 20 different phone calls mm. trying to get somebody. And then you go into the door and you, you go to see the mm. ministers and the ministers give you this and you know. We just need to get the, to put the resources in the right place. Yeah. I just think if people do want help, there is help out there. Yeah, the point is that they quite often, the help. point is they quite often don't want help. <laughs> quite the opposite. They're very happy doing what they're doing. Uh, let me go back to Rory Amuraku. Maybe we should open up Spike Island and uh, put anybody who's taking drugs on, on that till they're uh, clean and uh, they don't want to take them anymore. I'm not sure that would work and I think we might be in breach of certain element of, uh, I'd say, European and Irish laws in relation to it. But look, you said a number of things. I, I don't think it makes sense that we would be clubbing, clog, clogging up the court system with you know what I mean? Somebody caught with two spliffs, for the want of a better term. Um, but And there's two things that need to happen here. First of all, criminal gangs that are selling and making huge money, and, and the big money is probably in cannabis and cocaine, um, they need to be dealt with, they need to be taken out of the equation. But that takes a huge element of resources. I've already said we need to look at the wider at the wider issue. And then we're talking about two elements of interventions. That's early interventions, that's, that's family supports, that's community supports, and that's as many people as we can possibly divert away long before we're talking about the criminal justice system. And then we have to properly resource guarded diversion programs. And Peter is right on one level. Like, I, I, I welcome the idea of these community safety forums that are based there, the JPCs and the HSE mm. and whoever else is, needs to be involved in. And I'd like to think there'll be an involvement of the Regional Drugs Task Force, but I'd like to think that that would be a Regional Drugs Task Force mm. that's far better resourced than it is, and that we can then bring about something that is more closer to the solution than what we're dealing with at, at the minute. But that's it. It's, 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 it's quite simple on some level. We need to put the money into the early interventions that remove people from the situation. We need to put the resources into dealing with the criminal gangs. Mm. And then we, we all need to, need to have an need, overall we conversation. Need, we need to come up with a, a few ideas. What we're doing isn't working. Yeah, well, I, I mean... My assessment of our conversation this morning, and Peter, I didn't mean to fall out with you, because I think we all get uh, quite heated or, or um, exercised by this topic because it's such a serious one. And we're watching the kids walking down the streets like zombies every day of the week uh, and we're uh, watching uh, our backs to see if we're going to get shot in the crossfire if uh, these gangs take off again. But I, I, the, the, the thing I would say about our conversation this morning is not, not, not one of us have a good idea. Uh, not one of us have the solution. Not one of us is saying, well, if you get them when uh, they're four, before they go to school, uh, and uh, you're in the working class estates and you're doing this, that and the other, or whatever, you know, that there's some plan that would give these children the option of another path that they could take. I don't know if Michael, you agree with that. Michael, yeah, can yeah, I come in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are a number of projects throughout the state. I think there's one in uh, Darndale, and what they do is, like, See, in relation to family supports, they literally begin in some cases before the child is born and they're generally ensconced in school campuses and watch. And I think schools have said that they have noticed, you know, Mm. and they can probably check siblings against each other to say here we've had that it's had a huge Mm. positive impact in relation to, let's say, the educational uh, engagement and such. Mm. Look, uh, my dad was a principal in St. Joseph's School in, in Rehavnamore, mm. and he said there are times, and he said teachers would get worked up about a kid not having a pencil, and he said there was one point if you were, de- and, and you might be, de- I'm dealing with some very acute cases here, 
where you know someone mightn't have necessarily had their breakfast so like we need a holistic yeah. approach to how we deal with that's this it. And otherwise those, and if those, we keep doing what we're doing we're, we're going to get the same and, and they could be the children of drug addicts themselves last word for yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Michael, first of all, Michael, I don't fall either, Michael. No, no, Michael. I know. I know, that, I know yeah, no, yeah, but, yeah. but Michael, the, the thing is, I don't want you to listen to this program think there's not a lot, a lot of work being done. There is a lot of good work being done, Michael. Is. And in fairness, we, we have to ensure that crime doesn't pay. Like, for example, there, Michael, and, and, and I, I keep coming back to sport, Michael, because I think sport it plays a big part there. Like, for example, there, on Tuesday night and Thursday night this week, Michael, we had over 300 on Tuesday night under eight, mm. and on Thursday night, uh, over 300 under 10. And they came to do a blitz. They came with their parents, their grandparents, their brothers and sisters, everything else at the moment. Like that's one way of trying to keep people off of you. But I do agree with you, we have to find the resources, we have to find another way to help these people who's got themselves in, into a drug addiction or got themselves in, 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 in some sort of crime. We need to talk uh, to the kids, I think. I think that's uh, what it comes down to. Michael, I'll be honest, I've been involved with kids all my life. Mm. And honestly, and Michael... The, the other kids, though. But even if you actually even have one child, Michael, like... The, the intentions is there. Oh, I know. I hope that the I government. That. I hope, just hope yeah. that the government gives the resources to help and, kids yeah. do one thing. And, 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 and Michael, you just the, the problem is right. Kids might run up. A, it might be taking drugs. The fact is, they generally find themselves running up a drug debt, and then the problem is, mm. their mother, their father, their I granny, know. their granny gets the knock on the yeah. door, and that's when the violence yeah. and everything. And comes you, you hear that we need to shut off. Yeah, you hear there was arson in a, a, a housing estate, and we all know what that means. Listen, uh, the advertising department are <laughs> going to have my guts for garters, <laughs> uh, but we leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the program this thank morning. You, thank you very much. Uh, that's uh, Rory O'Marcoosh in Fain TD for Loud and East Mead, and Peter Fitzpatrick, independent. TD for Loud and East Smith. Michael Reed on LMFM. I'd rather people would check facts rather than spin them out for some other agenda. So just to be clear and to reassure everybody, Navin A&E is open. ICU is open. Orthopaedics is open. Medical is open. The hospital and the staff there, we all know the job they do all the time. That's Damien English. The Minister was speaking to me on the 28th of September, but uh, as we learned this week in July, the board of the HSE met and they decided that the emergency department in Our Ladies is going to close and with that there will be no requirement for ICU beds. Let's talk about that and the other revelation this week that Airgrid is going full steam ahead with the North-South Interconnector project overground with Sinn Féin TD for Mead West, Johnny Girk. Good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. This morning, we had hoped that the minister would be able to join us to debate these issues with you. The minister isn't available to us, but what uh, what do you make of it all? Um, I, I'd be very worried, Michael. Um, like we have the letter from the HSC, we have the confirmation from Anne Rabbit that the emergency um, department at Navan A and E is going, Michael. And and I, I I would be somebody, Michael, that would take people's word for what to say, but. Michael, this is a done deal, Michael, as far as I'm concerned, unless the Minister for Health or the government steps in to stop it. Mm. That's my honest opinion. Well, the letter to the staff in the hospital makes it clear that that's what the board of the HSE has decided. They're going to replace the emergency department with an MAU, and that means uh, that the intensive care unit will no longer be required. No, Michael, and you know yourself, Michael, that the capacity that's at Drogheda already, Michael, um, like, and we're going to be sending people there that's going to be on hospital trolleys, you know. Right. Uh, the other revelation this week was that despite everything that we've been hearing about Airgrid, uh, the company says it, it's set to go ahead. In fact, it says that the project is 
underway. Uh, it's in execution mode, as the CEO said uh, to an Rockdus committee this week. Let's hear a little bit of Mark Foley now. Elements of procurement are underway, engagements underway. The project is in execution mode, and and I, I need to be you know very frank about that. And it will ramp up very considerably as soon as we get a positive outcome from the judicial process in Northern Ireland. Oh no, it's not. Oh yes, it is. This seems to be the game that we're playing with these two big issues. Yeah, Michael, um, it's 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 time to um, get the people, Michael, out, out behind these projects. Michael, the, the chief executive of Airgrid has uh, come out and said that, Michael, he doesn't think too much of the government review that's gone on at the moment. Michael, I, I went to a meeting, Michael, before the general election in the Headford Arm in Kells. There was over 500 people I had. We had um, Thomas Byrne and Shane Castles uh, pulling the microphone off each other to shout and roar down the microphone that under Fianna Fáil, uh, this 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 project wouldn't go over ground. Um, they seem to be going to ground on it at the moment, Michael. So they need to come out, Michael, and stand with the people that elected them and, and speak up for, for these communities, you know? Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, they're simple enough questions, aren't they? Um, I don't know. I, I mean... Uh, it, it seems very simple to ask is the emergency department closing you're told no it's not and then you're told yes it is uh, it seems simple enough to ask uh, what's happening with the air grid project uh, you're told it's on hold because there's a review and then you're told no it's not on hold we're in execution mode it's full steam ahead well Michael as far as the A&E is concerned Michael we have it in writing from the HSC Michael we have it in writing from uh, Minister Anne Rabbit that the, that it is going to close, Michael. So I, I, I actually asked Stephen Donnelly the other day, Michael, uh, Wednesday night after mm. uh, after voting, uh, what was happening with Navin Hospital, and he he said like um, that he had not made no recommendations on, on it being downgraded or anything. Mm. Well, I, I I believe that, but I'll tell you, the HSE have made the recommendations, and he needs to step in mm. and stop it, Michael. That's that's where he, what he needs to do. You know what happened to that promise meeting, by the way. Exactly, Michael. Um, um, we, Anne, Anne Rabbit um, told us that we would be included in that meeting. Did that meeting go ahead, Michael? This is for, for Damien and Thomas Byrne. Did mm. that meeting go ahead, Michael? Mm. And if it did... Just to remind people listening, not invited to it. Minister Anne Rabbit told you in the Dáil that the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, would be meeting with Minister Thomas Byrne and with Minister Damien English this week. So that's today is yeah. Friday. Uh, and she said that she was going to ask Minister Stephen Donnelly to include the local opposition TDs, yourself, Darren O'Rourke and Patrick Hobie. Exactly, Michael. Like, uh, like at this minute, Michael, I don't know that that meeting go ahead, Michael. And it, and if it did go ahead, Michael, why was myself, Darren O'Rourke, and Patrick Tobin not invited to it? Um, and we have wrote again, Michael, uh, this week um, and in the last week to uh, Minister Donnelly asking for this meeting. Mm. And, and we've got no reply, you know. So, so, so I, I don't know, Michael, whether it went ahead or it didn't go ahead. And if it did go ahead, Michael, why were we not at it? Mm. Uh, I suppose people would be forgiven if they're listening to us saying, why don't they find out? Uh, just to make that point, because I'd also like to make the point, we've been trying to find out. Yeah, but it's the same thing, Michael, as we said uh, that night we were on with Anne Rabbit, Michael. Mm. You can't get answers, Michael. We can't get answers. So it's it's the government, Michael. This this is a done deal, Michael, with A&E and Abbott yeah. Hospital, Michael, unless unless Stephen Donnelly or the government steps in. And that night with Anne Rabbit that you refer to, that, that was a 20-minute debate that took place in the National Parliament in Dáil Éireann, uh, and it established nothing. It established nothing, Michael. Um, even Michael, uh, that she couldn't even get us onto that meeting, Michael. Um, like, like, like every time, every time you 
we've wrote to the we wrote to everybody, Michael. We've got no answers, Michael. Mm-hmm. Only the answers we have is that letter from the HSE. We have the, we have we have Anrab's confirmation, Michael. And I have no doubt, Michael. This is a done deal. They've been trying to do it for years, Michael. It will mm-hmm. be done unless the government, Michael, the 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 government or Stephen Donnelly steps in. All right. Well, Minister Thomas Byrne has said uh, he'd be available to us, uh, I think, from Tuesday onwards next week. And, uh, of course, uh, we'll hope that the Minister will come on and debate some of these issues with you. Uh, hopefully, Minister Damien English will be available to us this week uh, because we'd uh, also like uh, to speak to Minister English uh, about Our Lady's Hospital and the North-South Interconnector, the Air Grid uh, project. Uh, and, indeed, we'll be back one way or another talking about these issues on the programme next week. But thank you Michael, for joining Mike, us. Michael, Michael yeah. could I just come in quickly, Michael? We have an information... Uh, uh, meeting outside uh, Navin Shopping Centre tomorrow to inform people of what's going on and to encourage them to go to the protest on the 30th uh, of October. So we have that outside Navin Shopping Centre from 11 to 1 tomorrow. So hopefully people will support that. People will be watching out for that, I'm sure. Thank you indeed. Johnny Gurk, Sinn Féin TD for Mead West. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. He took me outside to where the gravestones stood in line. This is where we bury them in quickstone and in lime. And if you come to work for us, well, this you must agree that if you're going to die, please do it during tea break. Uh, there was a, a time where we worked until we died. Uh, of course, uh, the state pension uh, changed that somewhat, particularly when it, it was reduced uh, from at the age of 70. When it was first introduced at the age of 70, most people didn't qualify for the state pension because they were dead before then. Uh, but <laughs> maybe that was part of the thinking. I, I don't know. Uh, but uh, there's too many of us getting too old, living too long, uh, I think, people would hope today to live into their 80s which is a great thing in one way but it's a very costly thing for the state and there is this ongoing debate about when you should qualify for the state pension of course uh, the controversy raised its head in the last general election much to the surprise it would seem of many politicians uh, but it's one that worry people who were thinking about their own retirements uh, let's talk to Michael Taft economist uh, with SIP2 and a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme the the age is to increase but it's is it something for people to worry about they're not talking about it increasing it until 2028 well I think it, uh, it will be a concern for those say who uh, are over the age of 50 or 55 and they're planning you know their retirement and the age will go up to uh, in the recommendations the age will go up start going up in 2028 mm. uh, well, probably of a concern really to anybody under the age of 60 well uh, no, no I think there is a concern because interestingly uh, uh, in a poll that wasn't referenced by uh, the uh, commission report uh, it showed that through all age groups there was uh, similar levels of opposition uh, to increasing the pension age. And actually the age group that had the highest opposition to increasing the pension age were people under the age of 30. So, I mean, they're looking down the line, especially, you know, you can say that this is only a short-term measure, mm. but, you know, people are looking into a long working life and saying, well, you know, I don't want to have to continue working and working and working because the Department of Finance has uh, recommended that not only does the pension age go up to uh, 67 and then 68, mm. but by 2050 it will be probably over the age of 70. Mm. So, you know, that, that people are taking a long look uh, uh, and saying, well, no, we, we don't think this is the best way forward. Mm. What will the pension age be in 2028 and 2029 and 2030? Because it's to increase incrementally, is it not? 
That's right. Uh, this is in line with what most other uh, European countries uh, uh, are, are doing. Uh, they, it will start to increase in 2028. It will start to increase, but the increase will be every will be three months. So in 2029, uh, the pension age will be 66 and three months, mm. and then the following year, 66 and six months. Okay. So it won't be until uh, 2031 mm. until you fully hit 67, mm. and then you can hear the, the jokes already, aren't you? Are, are you 66 and a quarter? <laughs> you know. Well, that, that's that's, yeah. that, that's exactly yeah. what they, they mm. will be asking yeah. now. So that will be phased in. Yeah, and we'll have eight years to think about it, of course. And we'll have forgotten about how angry we are by then, no doubt. I don't know that we will think about uh, how, uh, forgotten about how angry you are, because, uh, as you mentioned, uh, it became uh, an issue, uh, which surprised, I think, all political parties. Uh, It became an issue on the doorstep. Uh, In fact, in the polls, it ranked as the third biggest issue uh, concerning uh, uh, people after... Uh, 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 health and uh, unemployment. Uh, so the, there will be a general election between now and 2028, at least one, anyway. Yeah. Uh, and uh, no doubt this will become an issue again on the doorstep. And uh, the Stop 67 coalition, of which uh, SIP2 is a member mm-hmm. of, uh, we're, we're quite confident that that issue will come up again, that people will continue to oppose it, and that most political parties uh, will not accept uh, the recommendation to start increasing the pension age. But what can you do? I mean, the government's hands are, are tied, are they not? There's too many people looking for too little money. Uh, and that's because, as I said, uh, we're all hoping to live uh, in, into our 80s at this stage. Uh, and that's a, a lot of years to be on the pension. So the idea is that you're on the pension for less years so that the overall bill is less. That, that's correct uh, at one level. There is no doubt, nobody questions that in the future uh, pension expenditure will rise. That is because of a combination of, uh, you know, uh, more and more people turning the age of 66. And, of course, they're, they're also living longer. Uh, so pension, uh, pension expenditure will increase. Our concern with the report is they do not make a compelling fiscal argument that increasing the pension age will save all that much money. Uh, I don't, uh, for instance, the Pension Commission relied on models that were produced by the Department of Finance and Fiscal Council to show, you know, how much the pension uh, expenditure uh, will rise in the mm. event that the age is not increased. But they didn't engage with other data, such as the Department of Social Protection, which showed that the savings are substantially less than what were claimed by Finance and Fiscal Council. And in many respects, the Pension Commission didn't take on board the additional cost of benefit payments. Because right now, I mean, prior, uh, you, uh, if you were forced to retire at the age of 65 towards your work contract, uh, then, uh, the, then you, uh, you, didn't, you weren't eligible for a pension. Right now you are under mm. the benefit payments for 65. That, will, that, that means that the, the benefit from increasing the pension age is somewhat negated because people will still be able to get this uh, new pension payment. Mm. So there's not a compelling argument that actually increasing the pension age will save that much money. Uh, so, you know, we believe that there are other areas uh, that uh, uh, would be far more beneficial in terms of reducing the cost of pensions on the economy, uh, in particular, uh, the issue of promoting economic growth, 
because the commission has worked off models that show that starting in 2030, we're going to enter into a two-decade-long uh, economic drought. Uh, and if we don't address that, actually increasing the pension age will be our last mm. worry, because if uh, those projections hold, then we will be worried about a lot of other things, such as unemployment and public services expenditure, mm. tax revenue, and stuff like that. But to be honest, uh, to be for, sorry, to be fair to the Pension Commission, they have addressed in a very positive way uh, some other uh, uh, issues, which actually will help reduce the cost of, um, uh, of pensions. For instance, they are proposing that people should not be compelled to retire at the age of 65. You know, those mandatory contracts. In, yeah, in the yeah. well, plenty of people would want to work until they're 70 right. or beyond that, 80 some so, people. So right. they are proposing that people uh, would be allowed to work up to the pension age, not mm. compelled, but mm. allowed, so that there will be no uh, forced, uh, forced retirement. Mm. Uh, second, and th- by the way, that will have a fairly good impact on uh, uh, the... Uh, exchequer, because as you can imagine, if you're forced to retire at the age of 65, well, that means you're no longer earning uh, uh, a living and paying tax and PRSI, and you're also drawing money from the state. Mm. So, you know, that will help. Uh, secondly, they are proposing that uh, for those who do stay in work beyond the pension age, they can continue to accumulate contributions towards their pensions. Mm. Right now, if uh, uh, someone would work beyond the age of 66, they won't pay any PRSI, but they won't get any more contributions, so they can't add to their record, their mm. contribution record. That will be changed. So that's an incentive to work beyond the age of 66. Mm, but they will be asked to pay PRSI under the recommendations, won't they? They will. They mm. will. Uh, but don't and that will be seen as a, a tax. I think that's the way it's being reported today, a, a tax on pensioners. I would just make the point that at the age of 66, if you are still in work, you get your pension on top of your current, mm. uh, earnings. So you are. But your your earnings will be reduced because there'll be a PRSI contribution taken out of your earnings. Yes, but yeah. that would be uh, for most people. That would be that would you know that won't anywhere anyway come near. Uh, reducing the mm. overall level uh, of your income. Okay, I'm not sure that'll wash with some people, given the way it's being reported today. Well, if you, yeah, if you yeah. look at this, I mean, mm. if you are uh, if you are near fuel full contribution, mm. uh, you'll be getting an additional. Yeah, no, I understand. Time. I'm just saying that I, I think there are people that would disagree with that uh, perspective uh, that you have on it. Uh, but what what about uh, people uh, who get to the age of 65 or 66 and they've been working for 50 years? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people who will be working from 15, 16 years of age. That's a lot of contributions. And they'll have paid uh, in their early years, let's say, uh, in the workforce uh, to put people through college and such, like uh, people who may not have started working until their mid-20s or late-20s, for that matter. That's correct. And that's why there's another uh, uh, positive recommendation from the Commission report, uh, which SIP2 was seeking, and that is for those with long contribution records, uh, they can uh, retire at the age of 65 and, and receive their full, uh, you know, it looks mm. like they would, under the recommendations, they would receive their full pension. So they would not have to continue working to the age of 66. Okay. Now, we think that could have gone further uh, to uh, accommodate not only those people with a long contribution record, but for those who uh, uh, work uh, uh, in very difficult uh, uh, occupations, you know. Mm. Well, I was just going to say that. What about the bricklayer or the, the coal man, people who are carrying heavy weights uh, as part of uh, their uh, jobs? That's why mm-hmm. in our in our submission, we recommended 
that there be a flexibility, like that happens in many other EU countries, a flexibility uh, based on uh, what's called onerous occupational work, mm. uh, which can not only just be like, you know, you know, like the bricklayer carrying bricks and all around, uh, but it can be other work such as uh, repetitive work, which can be both uh, uh, mentally and physically uh, damaging. Mm. Uh, so uh, this is the first step. It doesn't go very far, but it's the first time uh, uh, this is the first uh, time that, you know, uh, a commission or uh, a public body has recommended that there be some flexibility in the pension age. So what we would like to see is flexibility, in other words, people having the right to work beyond the age of 66 if they want to, and under certain conditions, long contribution records, or those in difficult occupations be able to retire early. Okay. So it's not just about setting one pension age, what you do is you allow flexibility to allow people so that the pension system actually accommodates people's needs rather than the other way around. All right, Michael, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about this for years, by the looks of it. Michael Taft is an economist with uh, SIP2 uh, and SIP2 part of uh, the Stop 67 campaign. Uh, some comments, Geraldine, in touch to say she hates politicians using the phrase disadvantaged areas. It stigma- stigmatises communities and Geraldine says it stigmatises the kids who live in those communities. Uh, they wonder what is wrong with them. There are people who are in disadvantaged areas, who are disadvantaged in all areas. There is no need to stigmatise individual places. Uh, Thanks, uh, Geraldine, uh, for uh, your call to the programme this morning. Uh, Another call from Esther, who says uh, that uh, it's not rocket science why many young people are enticed into crime. Uh, In many cases, there's little else for them to do. Planning permission has been given for fields and fields of housing with no provision for amenities and recreational facilities for the young, so they have nothing to do. GAA is not the answer. When you have young people hanging around with nowhere to go and nothing to do, they can end up taking the wrong path. Thank you indeed, Esther in Navanagh. I think it probably has to be said, GAA is the answer for many. The problem is that it's not the answer for all. But thank you indeed for your call, as I say. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Uh, uh, next month, uh, Fine Gael Minister Simon Coveney and uh, Fianna Fáil Chief Whip uh, Jack Chambers uh, will cross uh, the border this month, actually, uh, to Armagh. They'll leave this country and they'll arrive in Northern Ireland to commemorate the establishment of Northern Ireland. When they're in that country, They'll meet the Queen of Northern Ireland. She might welcome them. I'm sure she will welcome them, despite how her reign today is just over six counties of this island. The President of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins, said he wouldn't be having any of that uh, and he wouldn't be attending anything uh, that would mark uh, the partition of uh, the country of Ireland. Uh, But as I say, uh, the government will be represented Uh, in lieu of the president and on foot of his decision they've decided to send the subs Simon Coveney and Jack Chambers you're welcome to tell us today if you like what you make of that Uh, let's get uh, some local opinion on it Uh, Fine Gael Councillor Gerry O'Connor good morning to you thanks for joining us Uh, what do you make of uh, the government's decision Uh, is it uh, usurping the president's authority Uh, good morning Michael no, I don't think it is. I think the invitation to the government, uh, and it is the government, although you mentioned that, uh, that Simon is in Gael, but it was a cabinet decision. 
to send representatives, that the government will be represented at this church ceremony. And I, I personally think it's appropriate. Uh, it's not uh, commemorating partition or, or in any shape or form. And that was clarified by the Church of Ireland Primate, Archbishop John McDowell, uh, yesterday. The event is to mark, not commemorate or celebrate partition. It's, it's to mark the foundation of Northern Ireland. And we've all, we all realise that Northern Ireland is, is an entity. Mm. Uh, and it's been recognised as a Good Friday Agreement. Uh, if you look at, 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 at the, what the Irish government have done in the programme for government, and even recently... Yeah. The, it's what's left of British rule, isn't it? It's part of the UK. Yeah, it's commemorating British rule, isn't it? No, it's not. It's, it's marking the event of the form, formation of Northern Ireland, which is a reality. Which, okay. Which, 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 which was voted on in, in both sides of, of, of the border. Mm. But the bigger picture is that... The government are trying to create inclusiveness. Uh, I myself am part of I'm a director of East Border Region, which is which is council's yeah. border work on pro- projects of, of of interest for for both both sets of of, of the communities. We put in a, a 500 million shared Ireland fund, and the national development plan is now mm. that's going to be doubled out to 2030. The total all Ireland, including this project of 2040 funds, the annual funding for North-South cooperation, the Peace Plus, etc., mm. which is 1.1 billion, comes to about 3.5 billion. So okay, and is that, does that justify bowing to Her Majesty? Uh, I think... Her, her uh, Majesty, and celebrating British rule? I think, uh, if you look at the precedent, Martin McGuinness had no difficulty in, in shaking hands with with, uh, yeah. with, 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 uh, with the Queen. Mm. The SCLP are attending, which are, are shown leadership as, as, as part of the, 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 the nationalist community. Mm. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's trying to help to break down barriers of distrust. Okay, and Coffey... And I think that's, that's important from that uh, point of view. Uh, Emma Coffey, uh, are you comfortable uh, with Fianna Fáil TD uh, representing uh, this country in what will be marked as a separate country uh, with a, a queen uh, for uh, the people of that country in Northern Ireland uh, when uh, they celebrate the partition of this island? Well, again, I would say it's marking uh, the, the partition of the Anglo-Irish Treaty that was voted on, as as uh, Jerry has said there, uh, over 100 years ago. It didn't sit easy then, uh, we had our civil war as a result of it, and uh, personally speaking, you know, I'm a Republican. I my uh, I suppose ultimate goal is that we have a united Ireland. Mm. Um, but I, I will I'll pick you up on one thing there about the president and the government. The wonderful thing about our constitution, Michael, and you know, I'm sure you're aware of it, is that they are separate pillars of the state. Uh, they are not. Uh, reliant on each other and they act independently of an, of each other but there's checks and balances. Mm. The President is there to enact legislation, he has the power to veto legislation mm. and he mm. acts as our representative. Yeah. The government is there to govern. Mm. And uh, and I would say to you that I, I would have the same approach that personally it doesn't sit well but in the regards of inclusivity, the shared island approach, the shared island uh, economy. So the president and, and was wrong, was he? I'm not saying the president was wrong. He can mm. act independently. So the people are wrong. Free to do it. Well, the people, sorry, how are you saying the people are wrong? Because the of the poll in the Irish Times today, 68% of people agree with the president. Yeah, but the, the reality of it is. So are the, the people, the so, Irish, so are the people wrong? Irish, sorry. 
That is not the case. The no, I asked you if the people are, are wrong and you asked I, me I and you asked me what, what did I say, so I've told you. So are the people the wrong? people are entitled to have their opinion. But I am saying that the government is there to govern mm. and to, to put the hand out. Oh, to govern. Oh, to, to, gov- govern. To, to govern the subjects of uh, the Republic. Uh, and Jack Chambers will no, go uh, and stand uh, and stand uh, alongside sorry, the sorry, subjects Michael, of the Queen and Armagh. If you'd let me finish my sentence, to govern and what is in the best interest collectively mm. of the co- of the country and the hand of of of. Openness, inclusivity. Hold on. Can you let me finish there, yeah, Michael? Okay, all right, go on. Just this similarity in relation to when we celebrate our Republican date, uh, it will be it will be interesting to note that invites will be given across the border, and it will be interesting to note that will all representatives attend at that ceremony. Mm. So, I mean, you know, we have a historical. A historical, very, very historical uh, heartache of a partition in this country. Civil war politics. Civil war politics was overcome greatly by this coalition, by Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael entering this coalition. Um, it is, as I say, it's personally, I would find it a difficult one to, to go personally. But the government myself. knows best. I'm not saying the government you knows did. best. I'm saying the government is looking... No, sorry, Michael. I am saying to you that the government has made a decision that in the best interest of the country yeah. as a whole... <laughs> They're ignoring the people. They're ignoring the people. They're governing. They're governing the subjects. In regarding to investment for the betterment of economic and yeah. socially mm. of, this, of this island, yeah. the of gov- the island of yeah, Ireland. That, that's that just a long-winded, very long-winded, if you don't mind me saying that, but that's a long-winded way of saying the government knows best. 68% of the people are saying the president was right. Cabinet has made the decision. So in what? The interest of, so what? So you're saying that basically the shared island approach, the investment that is made in the shared island approach, the de- national development plan of 2040, no. looking at the Belfast no. economic corridor. No, I didn't say anything about the shared be, island. No, but that's... What I said to you was 68% of people said the president was right. And you're saying to me, that doesn't matter because the government has a different opinion and the government governs. No, I am saying to you that the president is separate and independent of the government, as he is entitled to do, and I'm okay. to take that. Okay, let me go to uh, Michael Gallagher. Uh, do you think that, that there's a point in that, that the people don't want the president to go to Armagh for the ceremony, but they won't have a, a problem uh, with the politicians going? I think they will have a problem. Uh, I think we're, we're celebrating uh, the state of Northern Ireland that for 70 years totally discriminated against the Catholic population. It wasn't the pub- Republican population or nationalists. was so solely the Catholic population were discriminated. But the primate of all uh, Ireland is there. The head of the Catholic Church is there. He doesn't see it that way. He doesn't yeah, see it but, as a celebration. Lots of, as Emma said, the SCLP will be there. They don't see it as a, a celebration. They see it as a matter of fact that uh, the state of Northern Ireland was established 100 years ago. Yeah, well, my, my, uh, our president Michael D. Higgins has studied the, the invitation, and he was convinced that it was a celebration, and uh, that it wasn't a fit ceremony for him to attend. Yet the government feel it is, and, and looking at, at from a Republican point of view, and, and Emma says she she's a Republican, and, and from uh, Fianna Fáil point of view, I think it's disastrous. I think it's it's, it's recognizing. Uh, so why has Sinn Fein attended similar events? We, we have a, 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 a 
Fianna has embraced the peace process. Martin McGuinness has, has sh- shook hands with, with the Queen. Yeah, but, but that, didn't... That um, was not celebrating the, the Northern State. That wasn't celebrating the, 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 the Northern State. Uh, that was trying to uh, bring both communities together to build a new Ireland. Uh, it had nothing to do with celebrating uh, the previous 100 years, which are, were a disaster, and that still is for this country. Yeah. We have seen all, all the, the... Like, the, the state was set up in the north, so that the Protestant majority would control, have complete control of the state. Yeah, but uh, Sinn Féin has been attending uh, events that have been marking the establishment of Northern Ireland, uh, the 100 years uh, since uh, the partition of uh, this island. Yeah, marking which a reality that it is formed 100 years ago, but not celebrating the formation of but the that's state what, that has caused. That, that's what we're being told this. Event is doing that it's marking. So, President Higgins has studied it, and he said it it was the event is celebrating the uh, formation of the state hundred years ago. You said it's politicising it, yeah. And again, it's opening it up again. I I wouldn't be. uh, I don't think they were criticised. The unionist community didn't. Uh, sent somebody down to the 1916 uh, commemoration. So, and, and it, 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 there was no big hello, uh, but I think this is raising the, the whole thing again and uh, profiling it. And, and the people have strong views. You can see what happened when the government uh, last year mm. decided they were going to, to uh, commemorate the RUC. So, um, so like there, there, there is. Uh, uh, divisive, and, and this is this is adding to it the fact that the president refused to go, and now the, the government are sending two representatives to it. Okay, uh, uh, I think uh, it's undermining our, our president. You know, which is probably one of our best presidents, and we have admiration for it. It's a, a very think. difficult situation, Jerry O'Connor, for the government uh, because they're kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who agree. Going by that poll today in the Irish Times, 68 percent agreeing with President Higgins. A lot of people will agree with Michael Gallagher just said there uh, about it undermining. Uh, the president, uh, but if the government didn't attend, the fallout probably would be great from north of the border. I'd agree, but the other thing is to remember specifically why Michael D. Higgins didn't attend. He didn't like the invitation, the wording of it. He didn't like being addressed as the president of the Republic of Ireland. He's Ukraine the Herden. And they were, as a learned man, he, he, he could see that in relation to the Constitution. That's how it was a difficulty for him as a person. But you must remember, Simon, Simon Coveney is the Foreign Affairs Minister. He's taken an, an integral part in, in discussions and representing the people of Northern Ireland in the Brexit negotiations when there was no other voices coming forward to represent them. And he was even complimented on that by, by, by Sinn Féin's uh, leader, Mary Lou. So... You the reality is there is a state there. Mm. We know that. We've accepted it. It's part of the Good Friday Agreement. And it's, it's, it's ironic listening to Michael Gallagher. I mean, Sinn Féin are sitting down with the DUP in, 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 in the, the, the Parliament of the, of the North. Uh, they've recognised that there's, 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 there's mm. a, an actual state there, and they're governing it. And they're following through on all the, the, the cutbacks that, that the Tory government are putting through, including the 20 quid a week. Mm. That they've reduced only this. Yeah, and Declan Kearney, uh, the chairperson of Sinn Féin, attended a similar event in the last month or two as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and 
I think this was made political. First of all, there was a difficulty with the wording for, 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 for yeah. our president. I think it was. It was and the president went on to clarify, just by the way, uh, that uh, the invitation didn't actually refer to him as the president of the republic. It did refer to him uh, by his yeah. proper title, the president of Ireland. No, but this is where it became political. When mm. the DUP start making an issue of it, if if nothing had been done and Michael D had gone up there, this wouldn't even be recognised as an event. It wouldn't be making news. Yeah. But the reality is. We are in a new reality. We have to learn how to live with each other on this island mm. for both our, our, our communities. And no matter what, and, and I'd be just as Republican as anyone else, mm. but, uh, but going forward, it, the only way forward is through dialogue, is from understanding each other's positions and from taking part in shared events. Do you think Michael D. Higgins was right, that the President was right not to attend? I, I think he, he has a specific... Uh, view in relation to uh, as Ukraine as in mm. relation to what he can but do you think he was right to decide not to attend I don't think he, he would have missed the opportunity to meet the Queen unless he had uh, serious misgivings in relation to the wording of the invitation the invitation did mention so you does that, uh, sorry does that mean yes or no do you think he was right <laughs> not to attend I think he had to make his own decision as, as <laughs> you're not going to answer right uh, would, would you have felt comfortable with Michael D Higgins the President of Ireland uh, going to what would be perceived by many people in Northern Ireland as a foreign country from the President's perspective uh, and sitting alongside their Queen, the Queen of Northern Ireland. Is this me, Michael? Yeah. Uh, first of all, we're, 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 on, we're an island. Uh, we're, we're aiming towards uh, working better together uh, as, as two communities. Okay, the you're, not, you're not going to answer that question I am, either. I am going to okay. The Queen is great to come from to, to Ireland and say some very, very, very nice words and recognise the difficulties mm. there for over 800 years. I, I don't see any difficulty in, in a representative or two representatives from the government uh, attending a church ceremony to mark the foundation of okay. Northern Ireland, which is the reality. Mm. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you probably would have been fine with the president going. You're certainly fine with the politicians going. Uh, Emma Coffey, uh, you said you have some reservations. Do you think that Michael D. Higgins should have attended, or do you agree with his position? Well, I, the reality of it is the president makes a decision on behalf of the, the people, and he's made that decision. But, but, but I, was I, he right? I, do, I can understand why he made that decision. But was he right? I would say to you, it's a difficult one, Michael. I, I have to say to you, I'm very torn by it personally. Um, but if we're all about the peace agreement, the Good Friday agreement and inclusivity uh, and church ceremonies marking a, a very much a historical impact that has, has affected how both, both jurisdictions have uh, walked the path mm. for the last hundred years. You know, the Republic of Ireland may not be the Republic of Ireland today if we didn't have partition. And who knows, you know, if certain things had happened historically, different paths could have been taken. So I, I, I totally understand where the president is coming from. But equally, I, I have to say that tough decisions have to be made mm. in the interest of inclusiveness, openness, and trying to work with an all-inclusive okay. Ireland. And, and you're happy that we're represented. Are, are, are you happy that there's two politicians going? I, I accept that the government have made the decision to represent. I think it would have been adequate for one, but given that the, the nature and the historical nature of both parties, uh, I can see why two 
two representatives from Fine Gael, one from Fine Gael and one from Fianna Fáil, uh, uh, are attending okay. for the, for the, for the uh, civil war politics to be put to bed completely. Okay, and Michael Gallagher, you don't think anybody should attend despite no. Sinn Féin's position previously in attending these type of events? Luckily, Sinn Féin has, has embraced, and I've said before, have embraced the peace process with uh, Martin McGuinness uh, and Liam Paisley uh, had actually become best friends and, and that was shown at, at Martin McGuinness's funeral, the large attendance from the Unionist and representatives from the Unionist Party at it. But look, this is a different issue. This is recognising the northern state that has uh, and the division of our country that has caused serious harm for the last hundred years. And, and uh, uh, you're celebrating a state that has really left the Catholics with no rights for 70 years. And they were forgotten about by the two main parties just going down okay. now to celebrate this event. Uh, Fianna Fáil mm. and Fine Gael forgot about the Nationalists for 70 years, and it's an insult to a Republican to see them. Well. When, when Michael D has refused, <laughs> Michael D has okay. refused to go already. Okay, well, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael would say that they've uh, taken a different approach. They haven't forgotten about anybody, uh, but <laughs> we won't get into that now. Uh, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you both, or thank you to each of you, to the three of you for uh, for joining us on the programme. Uh, this morning, a little bit of mischief there. Thank you, Michael Gallagher of uh, Sinn Féin, Jerry O'Connor of Fine Gael, and Fianna Fáil councillor Emma Coffey. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, an awful lot of people in touch with us today about an awful lot of topics, and it really is great to be getting so many calls and text messages and WhatsApp messages and so on. So thank you if you are one of the people who has taken the time to share your thoughts with us. Let me share some of those thoughts with you. Tommy, thanks for your call. Tommy says every parent should be held responsible for their children. It doesn't matter what age they are. He doesn't believe in free legal aid. The money should be taken out of whatever income the criminals have. Even the social welfare and 50% should be charged when they come out of prison. Also, he says if a child is in trouble for a third time, the parents should be fined. Thanks, uh, Tommy. Tommy thinks uh, that uh, we should have more time on the radio. The show isn't just long enough to deal with uh, some of uh, these issues. Uh, Thanks, Tommy, uh, for that. I'm not sure about uh, uh, your idea on all of that though I think if you were to take an approach like that uh, we could probably close the schools uh, um, well close them to school children uh, and put guards on the doors and use them as prisons uh, because uh, we'd have a, an awful lot of people in an awful lot of trouble uh, Patty Navin phoned in wondering if politicians really understand the drug issues he believes the problems of today started when the parents and teachers were stopped correcting children from doing wrong if they were able to correct their children nowadays uh, that would be one thing but they're told by the child that they'll ring the guardian and bring them to court the do-gooders did more harm than good thanks uh, Paddy for that not sure uh, about that I think though that there probably are a lot of people who would uh, agree with you uh, I wouldn't be one of them uh, Sean Mornington phoned in uh, with regards to the large increase on a, a fill of oil he says it went up in just two weeks from 360 to 425 for a four, 500 litre fill John wants to know, what is the government up to as this is a major problem for every householder and business trying to keep going? Uh, Sean, I think you might be in for a shock uh, because uh, I think what the government is doing is putting a carbon tax on it and uh, that you're going to pay... Uh, a lot more uh, for a litre of or for a fill of oil for 500 uh, fill of oil uh, that could cost you God knows maybe another 100 euro Um, but there will be carbon tax on it and that will be in addition to what 
the oil companies are charging. So that will be government tax uh, on top of the increases that the providers are, are charging. A WhatsApp comment from Liam, who is in our day. Liam says, we should start up boot camps for troubled youngsters, the same kind that they have in some states in America that could help tackle the problem. Stephen in Drogheda says he has a neighbour who has issues with drugs and he says it's not nice to see them under the influence. He worries for their safety all of the time and dreads getting a knock on the door by the guards to say something has happened to them. He says he'd love to be able to do more to help them, but he's unsure about what to do. Another text from a listener who was in touch to say they can see both sides of the story and agree that the gangs and the organised crime needs to go. However, sports groups alone will not be the solution. Nearly 90% of teenagers are going to experiment with drugs at some stage. Some will leave it uh, as a phase. Others will go too far with it. Intervention is to listen to these kids and understand their trauma and give them better coping mechanisms and communication skills rather than turning to drugs and alcohol. If we were to legalise cannabis, it'll take away the taboo of it all, the organised crime side of it, and the benefit and tax to our country would be great. It would also benefit people who need for medicinal reasons. Thanks indeed. Uh, I think it has to be said as well, if uh, you don't mind me saying, uh, there wasn't a name with that, uh, but uh, to the listener who said uh, about the trauma uh, and uh, the coping mechanisms and all of that stuff uh, that uh, children uh, are struggling with, they do it for fun. They enjoy it. Uh, I mean, you know, it's a choice that they're making and many of them will tell you it's an informed choice that they're making. And if Everybody is doing that and believes that that's the case or that's, you know, the uh, general way uh, that the majority of the population are are behaving. I mean, we can ignore it, um, but I I, I think that the problem is that if you ignore that point of view, uh, you're sticking your head in the sand. It's a real point of view that many people hold. Uh, You may say it's wrong, but you can't ignore it. Michael and Kell says he, he doesn't believe that the pension age should be increased, but that people should have the choice to retire when they want to retire. He says people like him who've worked on building sites for over 40 years wouldn't be physically able to work on past retirement age, wouldn't be able to be um, a building site until you're 67 or 68 or older. But there are those who are in stationary jobs who may be able to and may want to. It should be a choice. But the retirement age should not be raised, he says. Thanks uh, for that as well. Uh, Let me bring you one more for the moment about uh, the commemoration in Armagh. Uh, Pat phoned in to say he believes uh, that I was trying to stir things up. What about all of the people from the north who come to the Republic of Ireland to do their shopping and other businesses? There has to be mutual respect. Ireland will always be Ireland. The six counties will always be in Ireland. They can't just chop it off. Thank you indeed, Pat, uh, for your comment to the program. Thanks actually to everybody who's been in touch. So many people in touch with us today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Farmers are disgruntled about uh, the responsibility they're being given for reducing uh, climate emissions and climate change. A big protest has already taken place in a national day of protest. A lot of farmers turned out at half past seven this morning in Cavan. Uh, it's on to Common at lunchtime, then Port Leash by this evening and then tonight to Cork. Let's speak to Brian Rush, Deputy President of the IFA. Good morning to you, Brian, and thanks indeed for joining us. That was a very early start this morning in Cavan. About how many people would you say turned out? It was four or five hundred there this morning, Mike. Like It was a very, very strong turnout. Um, 
I suppose the general mood among farmers there in the farming community is one of worry, one of uncertainty, and and one of saying, you know, making their voices heard as well that, you know, we want to do our fair share. We're not denying that there's a challenge and, and farming has to live up to their expectations, but we cannot be, uh, we can't carry an unfair burden and, and we do need support. And what has that been? What do people think is unfair? Well, if we look at, like, the Climate Action Plan has put a 51% reduction in, in carbon emissions by 2030, and that will fall to agriculture, transport and energy to fulfil that. But you see a lot of talk from him and Ryan in the last couple of weeks about energy in particular, where we could even potentially look at blackouts. And that's, that's a result of decarbonisation. It's a result of closing down peace-fire power plants. Mm. So the energy sector isn't ready to decarbonise. The transport sector isn't ready to be decarbonise. And we would fear that people are starting to look at farming as a soft touch and an easy solution. So to front load the pain on agriculture to buy time for transport and energy, and we're saying no, that is not fair, that is an unfair expectation, and it's in no way equitable. Okay, is that suggesting that two wrongs make a right? In terms of, I, I don't understand what you mean. Two wrongs make a right. I suppose we're coming from a. Well, I mean, I mean, you're you're saying that the data centres and uh, the fossil fuels and uh, the problems with energy are, are wrong, but we're allowing them because we're in that position. Uh, so uh, it, it's wrong to allow them. And uh, does it mean uh, that uh, if it's wrong to allow farmers uh, to continue to impact on climate change, that that should be allowed to happen because we're allowing this other stuff and that's sort of saying that two wrongs make a right. Well, well, let's just be clear, I suppose. We're talking about families, income, Mm. businesses, local communities, right? And we're also talking about a cohort, a community of people that are actually very engaged in improving their farms and their businesses to to reduce their environmental impact. Mm. And farmers have proven that, like, any time there's any sort of support scheme, we need to remember as well that there's a lot of agriculture, like you take beef, sheep and tillage, that they're economically vulnerable. So they do need support, and they've always needed support. But whenever there's a support scheme in place, an environmental-type scheme, farmers have oversubscribed it, because they do need support in addressing this. So, like, there's constant change in agriculture, constant change, and farmers are adjusting. But we're saying that we need support. But we need, like, we'll do our fair share, but it has to be our fair share. And and our, our let's say, our economic and social importance in the rural economy needs to be recognised as part of that as well. Mm. Uh, does your fair share uh, fall in line uh, with the share of the problem that farmers are responsible for? Uh, the International Energy Agency said yesterday that methane is responsible for around 30% of uh, the global rise in temperatures to date and uh, that the most impactful way to limit climate change is by cutting methane. Well, you're right to call it out as a global problem, and it is a global problem. Because we look at the world population of cattle, 45% of the cattle in the world, 450 million cattle, exist in Brazil and India. Mm. Ireland has 7 million cattle, and Ireland's herd over the last few years has been stable. But the Brazilian and Indian cattle herd is increasing. Okay. It's increasing. Mm. So, like, a reduction or a stable... Like, farmer, like the, the Irish herd has, like, it is stable the last two years. But if we come in and we start talking about capping national herds or reducing national herds, there's no national herd. It's fam- like 70 cow cattle is the average herd size mm. in Ireland. We need to remember that and put it in a global context. But would it make that much difference if you reduce that from 70 to 69? Would it make a difference? Well, I think if farmers, it's farmers' choice to do that. And it shouldn't be foisted on them. 
to do that. So mm-hmm. farmers will react to a market signal and they'll adjust how, what, how many cattle they have or what they want to do. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, saying that we're going to, you know, come out with, with, with basic measures like reduction of herds mm-hmm. isn't going, to, isn't going to, to address the real challenge here. We're saying that farmers need support. Mm. And that particularly those sectors, the, the vulnerable income sectors, need support. And there's a huge amount that can be done. And there's a huge amount that farmers want to do. Mm. But we need to bring farmers on a journey, not try to get rid of them, because that's what this will eventually lead to. Okay, well, as you say, there was a big turnout at half seven this morning. Four or five hundred people turned out in Cabinet. I take it uh, that there'll be bigger turnouts uh, as uh, the day goes on uh, next to Roscommon. Uh, on to Port Leash uh, and uh, then on to Cork. Uh, it's going to be a busy day ahead uh, as farmers make their voice heard today, Brian. It is, yeah. And listen, it's uh, it's yeah, on to Roscommon next as well. Uh, that, then that'll be covering Connacht and we're expecting a big crowd. And uh, and the crowd will get bigger as the day goes on, I'd mm. say. I have no doubt yeah. about it. Mm. But it, this is a very unified problem for farming across all the sectors. This will impact every single farmer. And uh, again, the message I would have to people like, we're not saying, we're not denying there's an issue, mm. we're not saying we're not going to address the issue, but we are saying that any plan, and we want to sit down with the government and have a plan for farming and rural Ireland, any plan must be fair. OK, well, as I say, uh, you have a lot to say and your voice will be heard on those protests. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Hi, Brian Brush is uh, Deputy President of the IFA. Uh, thanks uh, to Sean, who's been on Facebook saying, what is it about Irish politicians that they fall over each other to shake hands with British royalty? Ned, in touch with us, uh, saying nearly 70% of the public think that the President made the right decision about going to Armagh or not, uh, and they should have respected that decision. The government should have uh, instead of undermining his position. He wonders how many unionists attended the 1916 commemorations. Thanks, Ned. That's our programme for today. Hope you have a good weekend and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.